This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. For those who listen, for those who are willing to listen, here's Johnny. Today's guest comes from an extraordinary and quite unique Jewish background. I was born in a hippie commune. Um, some hippies wow. grouped together and basically bought a street in a pit village. Um, it, it wasn't a kibbutz in Israel. It yeah. was a commune in the north of England. Hi, it's Johnny Gould and this is My Jewish State. We're all products of our background. Environment shapes one's wider identity and our Jewish belief system. I'm from Birmingham in the black country having lived through huge industrial decline in the 80s and descended from both Viennese Holocaust survivors and more long-standing Jewish communities from Birmingham and Newcastle, it gives me a viewpoint quite different from my peers in London, my adopted home city. I can't pretend it's not challenging, even alienating sometimes. Which is why sitting down with Joseph Cohen to learn about the man behind the Israel advocacy movement, inspiring bridges between Zionist Jews, the Muslim community and the rest of the world, was so fascinating. The ethics of the Father says, the more schooling, the more wisdom, the more counsel, the more understanding, and the more charity, the more peace. We read a chapter from these ethics, the Pirkei Avos, each Shabbos, directly after Pesach, Passover, until the Shabbos before New Year, Rosh Hashanah. And Johnny Gould's Jewish State is a library of in-depth interviews with the wisdom of people from all walks of life, my previous episode covers similar themes of Jewish and Muslim outreach to this one from Ed Hussein. It's episode 32. Meanwhile, scroll down the list of episodes and discover Lynn Julius, World Authority on Mizrahim, the Jews of the Middle East and North Africa, and how 3,000 years of Jewish life was uprooted overnight. That's episode 15. And there's one dedicated to football as well. Jewish folklore's greatest hero, Bella Gutman, the Holocaust survivor who led Benfica to two European Cups in the 1960s and discovered Eusebio. And Tottenham's Y-word is episode six with Ivor Badil and David Bolkover. And now, Joseph Cohen. His videos have been viewed by millions on YouTube and Facebook. He's been retweeted by President Donald Trump and picked up by the nationals, including The Sun, during the 2019 general election in which he took a major stand against Jeremy Corbyn and Labour. How is wearing a BDS badge showing solidarity with us? You've come to a vigil against anti-Semitism wearing a badge that's been banned in Germany for anti-Semitism. We're not in Germany. That's your answer. That's your answer. Why is your badge banned in Germany? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Germany's kind of overcompensating. Oh, they're overcompensating. Aimed a vigil for Jewish suffering in Northwest London. You're coming and attacking a Jew and saying he's using it for Zionist gain. Yes. Wow. That's a very good look. Thank you for the solidarity, sir. Solidarity is here, not there. No, with actual Jews. Solidarity is with socialists, but not with Jews. You're meant to be standing in solidarity with us, and when we voice our concerns, you ignore them. Go away! Go away! Go away! Shush! What did you organise? What did you do? Oh, is this when you go in the march for the EDL? I'm now EDL. Jews are now EDL. Fantastic. So let's start at the very beginning. Why the man and his mission? 
Joseph Cohen, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. People know you from your long line of videos. Israel advocacy movement has evolved over time. First of all, how and why did this start for you? I guess it's probably easiest to start from the beginning and explain. So I came to London maybe 13 years ago and I come from a working class left-wing family in the north of England. I spent most of my young adult age politically opposed to fascism, Nazis, the BNP, the National Front. And when I came to London, it surprised me that there was hostility between between Muslims and Jews within this community, London. And I decided I wanted to try and do something to bridge the, the divide. And so I launched an initiative which grew into the largest website for Jewish-Muslim relations on the internet, which most people don't realize, which looked to promote the commonalities between Jews and Muslims in the hope that familiarity would breed tolerance of each other. What most people don't know is that Islam is nearly identical in ritual to Judaism, right down to going on Hajj. So when a Muslim goes on Hajj, they have to go to the Kaaba, they have to circle it seven times. When the Jews used to go on the three festivals on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the Hagim, Hag, Hajj, very similar. Oh, wow. We circled the Beit HaMikdash seven times. Hajj is Hag. Well, that's my theory. I like it. Let's use it. And if you go with the the Temanim, um, so they will pronounce a Gimel as a J. So you can even at a stretch almost get to Hajj as in the actual pronunciation as well. But that aside... That led me there, and then what I then realised was that the anti-Semitism coming from the the Muslim community was unfortunately one of the the biggest um, one of I mean, while most Muslims aren't anti-Semitic, there is a real problem within some fringes of the Muslim community when it comes to anti-Semitism, and there's a real problem that needed to be overcome. And so I launched something called the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism, which you've probably heard of. I co-founded that. I stepped away from it very early on. Um, and it's that stepping away that led to Israel advocacy movement. So I set up the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism to try and inspire other people to actually do something, to challenge anti-Semites. Um, the work I did with the Muslim community for the, the Jewish Muslim website made me realise that actually there's so much work to be done um, and it's not enough just to try and create tolerance but we actually have to speak out and what happened was the Gaza war kicked off in 2014 and there was so much anti-Semitism you couldn't move for Hitler was right Hamas, Hamas, Jews to the gas and then the 2014 war stopped and the anti-Semitism all, like, it appeared to almost disappear but what persisted was the acceptable anti-Semitism. What persisted was, I don't hate Jews, I just hate Israelis. I love Jews, I just hate Zionists. Mm. And it made me realise that the real battleground isn't the interfaith world. It isn't campaigning against anti-Semitism. And while that's hugely important, one of the biggest challenges we have to face is the modern acceptable form of anti-Semitism, which is anti-Zionism. What I tended to find was amongst Muslims, almost every Muslim I knew would go to huge lengths to explain how tolerant Islam is of Judaism. And there was a sincerity there. Um, And amongst the left, you'll hear huge support for, for the Jewish people. But within both of those communities, there was a huge 
acceptance of opposition to Israel. And I, I would see it as the acceptable form of anti-Semitism. And so I realized that was the core battleground. And so I launched the Israel advocacy movement with the hope of engaging with people and changing that, uh, making it less acceptable to express these views. Well, in my last interview on this series with Ed Hussein, he said that uh, Israel bashing is the last refuge of the liberal Muslim. Yeah. I would still be sitting around bashing Israel because that becomes the last right. refuge of the Muslim liberal. Too often Muslim liberals are liberal on every count, you know, they, they, they tick every box, box on gay rights and gender equality, on democracy, on freedom. And then the last refuge, the last way in which, oh, I'm still Muslim, is to say I'm anti-Israeli or I'm, or I'm anti-Jewish. That has got to go. And of course, when you read into that, you now then see how the Red-Green Alliance exists because the people who claim themselves to be anti-racist in the Labour Party, who aren't Muslim, also feel the same way. Quite happy to talk anti-racist but bash Israel. And, and, and you, you have to question why. And that, for me, was the interesting area. There are so many conflicts around the world. Last year, 42,000 people were killed in Afghanistan. I think Israel was like the 28th or 29th um, in terms of death tolls the most violent conflict um, but that's way down on the list there were so many more conflicts with such vaster death tolls much graver human rights violations I mean not that I don't believe Israel has human rights violations but the world obsesses over Israel and you have to you have to question why and that's what I set out to try and challenge is to challenge that narrative um, the red green alliance the horseshoe I kind of don't even I think the world's becoming so much more extreme and so polarised. Conspiracy theories, flat earth, and, and with all of these, you kind of have normal people, and I include whether it's a normal Jew, a normal Muslim, a normal Christian, atheist, whomever, in the centre ground. And then you have the extremists over here making the most noise. Um, I think there's a, I think it's the Kuzari says that the emptiest vessel makes the most noise when it's that and it truly is the case when you when you train that with when with these groups with these the 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 really hostile anti-semitism anti-zionism i think most people don't care truthfully think if you speak to most muslims you speak to most british people that the majority of people don't really have an opinion on israel and if they do have an opinion it tends to skew to negative in the uk 17 percent of people have a positive view of Israel, 33% of people have a negative view of Israel, and 50% don't have a view at all, mm -hmm. they're completely neutral when it comes to it. Joseph, some scenes live long in the memory in your videos, where you were surrounded by Islamic extremists in Hyde Park, and you refused to back down, holding an Israeli flag. Your life was in danger, anyone could have stabbed you, God forbid, I don't even want to say it, but you know, it, it looked extremely dangerous. So I'll give you a story which I think is so relevant to what you've just described and would be, would be my sincere answer. There's an individual who attends Speaker's Corner who was connected to the London Bridge terrorism. There was a video called The Jihadis Next Door. He featured in that video, praying alongside the um, one of the terrorists. He also was arrested um, for 
involvement with the Sharia patrols outside the East London Mosque. And I debated with them a few times at Speaker's Corner. And we always got on relatively well, considering we have very polarised... Yeah, you could never make up with him. Yeah, completely. But the debates were always respectful. I spoke unapologetically as a Jew, as a Zionist, and I tried to explain what I consider the, 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 the Jewish or the, the Zionist positions to him. Um, these debates are available for people to watch online. They've been watched by hundreds of thousands of people. A few, maybe two years ago, he left a comment underneath one of the videos. And I, can't, I don't know what the Arabic means, but he said, Joseph has more, hopefully remembering this correctly, Joseph has more al-wal-walabara than the Muslims. Um, we should try and be more like him. He loves his people, and so he should. And the reason I'm bringing this story is... I think people respect proud Jews. People respect Jews that say, I'm proud to be Jewish, I'll wear a kippah, I'll wear tzitzit, I'll wear a, a, a jumper that says Zionist or whatever, but you're visibly Jewish, you're not afraid. There's not a, I support Israel, but we need to do this, or we need to do that, I support Israel, but now, and they People respect Jews that say, I'm Jewish, I'm proud of being Jewish, I stand by Israel, accept me for who I am and in most of those situations I've been in they've been safe because I think the people I'm engaging with tend to respect me because I extend respect to them when it does get out of hand and it has there's been numerous um, physical altercations it's usually the people that usually come to my defense are actually Muslims I'll give you an example I was in Berry Park which is an area in Luton which is famous for um, giving birth to a number of people who went on to join Al-Majaroon, go off to Syria, various things like that. So it's got a reputation for extremism. I was handing out flyers promoting Israel, um, trying to engage in conversations and speak, treating the local, the, the majority of the locals, they were complete, no, completely ordinary people, treat them with respect, handing out flyers, ha engaging with them, um, and one person got really, really violent. He was really offended that there was a Jew handing out flyers, promoting Israel, doing Hasbara in an area he thought that Jews shouldn't be doing that. And um, he got violent, and a huge crowd of Muslims then came to my defense. And that's been the story time and time again. Whenever someone has attacked me, usually there's a huge crowd, because they're usually in public places, will then come to my defense. And I think it's because most people are inherently good, irrespective of whether they wear a kippah or whether they pray five times a day, three times a day, or zero times a day. That is good to hear. So again, it's this idea that uh, the, the good people are being hijacked by the noisy bad. And Speaker's Corner, really, in the last few years, has been hijacked. The very essence of free speech has been hijacked, hasn't it, by the Islamists. Suddenly, there was you know, what looked like a Muslim mincha there one, one day, and you're not allowed to pray. Yeah. Uh, in the royal parks and it took the police quite some time to stop that from happening yeah so truthfully the praying in the park is the least of the problems with the park if the issue that people had with speaker's corner was that christians were praying jews were praying muslims were praying that doesn't really offend me the, the issue the real issue you have with speaker's corner is it has become increasingly violent mm -hmm. and hostile 
So it used to be a place of free speech. And what happened was people would go to debate and you'd engage on political levels, on religious levels, um, but it was very respectful. What's happened in recent years is cameras came along and people started filming those debates. And those debates would go really viral. There's videos that were filmed with me at Speaker's Corner, which hit 700,000, 800,000, a million views. And that attracted other people who wanted that internet fame. And it became much more about egos and much about, and much more, it attracted people from a more, ex, from the fringes. And it's become increasingly hostile, increasingly violent. Last year, there was barely a week went by where violence didn't break out. Um, so it, it isn't the same as it was, but it's it's not just a, a Muslim problem. It's a problem of extremism of, of all types, whether it's far right, far left, Islamic, um, even vegans. You've got, you've got people eating raw meat there with them <laughs> to challenge the vegan. Yeah. From Great Britain via Israel to the world. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Tell your friends, spread the word, and subscribe now. Arguing alongside yet another uh, Zionist titan, David Collier, outside Pal Expo with Deepak Rajpur, yeah. uh, which became increasingly hostile. And he ended up calling both of you names. And it was about property rights, private property in the end, yeah. in Israel. If you go in front of a court and you kill 20 people, they only charge you with one murder most of the time. One is enough to be convicted. And you have been convicted in my eyes for, for accusing somebody for anti-Semitism, which was an absolute bullshit. But she was investigated by the police. On, on whose orders? So the Jews now tell the police what to do? Yes, they do. Absolutely. And absolutely. You are the problem, sir. The Jews have a lot of influence. Can we just come back? Just one thing I do want to say before we carry on. This 57 law thing, I read it. It's written by Adala. Okay, it's an organization, an NGO in Israel. Do you want to know what those laws are? The fact that there's a Star of David on the Israeli flag is a law. Okay, that's one of their laws. What about the UK and the crosses on their flag? Does that, does that make England an apartheid state? The fact that the Jews celebrate sorry, sorry, Rosh Hashanah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's a, yeah, go on. Do you, do you, David, do you even know the definition of an apartheid state? Would you see an apartheid? Would you recognize an apartheid, an apartheid state if it's set on your face, sir? You said there were 57 laws that you he can only resort to one thing, which is hate after that. But I suppose the important thing is not to humiliate people. Yeah, and I think that's a really... So I didn't know who Deepak was until after the debate went up. Um, and then you, you realise his history. But it's something that occurs time and time again within debates. You will get people who will explain to you how against anti-Semitism they are like really against anti-Semitism. You can't get more against anti-Semitism than me. Um, and then two minutes later, they'll just slip into the most anti-Semitic um, trip and throw the most anti-Semitic trope you can imagine. So in Deepak's case, it was, he was telling us how much he was against anti-Semitism and how it's wrong and it should be purged from the party, but the Jews control the police. 
right. <laughs> okay. All right, Dave Park. Um, right. Yeah, you're clearly against anti-Semitism. Right. And I think it's one of, one of the real challenges we have today with anti-Semitism is when it came from the far right, the far right were unapologetically anti-Semitic. You knew what you were getting. With far left, uh, Muslim and other forms of anti-Semitism, what you often get is they are opposed to many forms of anti-Semitism and sincerely opposed to them and completely blind to another. So the, the left, the far left, will be the first people to stand up to neo-Nazis. If a neo-Nazi was marching down the street, all the Corbynistas would be at the front of the line trying to stop them. But then when the anti-Semitism comes from their own camp, or it's a more nuanced or a different or a more modern manifestation of a very ancient hatred, they're completely either blind or complicit in it. And that's one of the real challenges with anti-Semitism today, is that it will come from communities that are our allies in other areas. So the left is an ally of the Jews when it comes to the far right. But then when it comes to, say, the anti-Semitism of Hamas or far-left communist anti-Semitism, they, they're completely de- they just mm. don't see it. And the Hamas is straightforward Nazism. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't understand how they can possibly actually square that intellectual argument up. Because at the end of some of those terrible days, which end on Erev Shabbat, um, they wheel out the Nazi swastika, and they mean it. It's not to taunt Jews. It's because that's who they are. Yeah, they have the... This is one of the... When people say never again, they don't really understand what they're saying. So most people will say never again, including many people who will support Hamas. But you, here you have a militant armed group that explicitly states their objective, their reason for being is the destruction of the Jewish people. It says so in their charter, in their defining document, their constitution. It says that they are there to kill the Jews. Mm. Um, And it's a religious obligation. And yet the same people who say never again about the Holocaust and the Nazis will then go on to explain how they support Hamas and how Hamas are just for, as Jeremy Corbyn put it, um, social justice. Yes, Yes. guardians of, uh, of social justice. Fooling jihadists as they thought you were a Muslim convert, where um, I need to understand, was it Anjim Chowdhury? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were with Anjim Chowdhury, and he, he basically took you under his wing, because I think he thought you were a Muslim convert. Yes. With your red beard. Welcome. And I think you uttered something in Arabic to him, being uh, a son of Moses? Or yeah, no, so, so, yes. <laughs> so... Anjim Chowdhury was having a protest outside Regent Park Mosque, persuading Muslims not to vote in the election, saying it was haram, it was against Islam. And I was wearing a big black velvet kippah at the time and a white shirt, (laughs) and I approached him and I said, Anjim, could I have a selfie made? And he looked at me and he said, certainly, brother. And then he raised his finger, like the ISIS, and said, La ilaha illallah, which means there is no God but God. And a Muslim will usually follow that and say that Muhammad is the messenger. And I flipped Muhammad and said, and Musa Rasulallah, which means that Moses is his messenger. At which point he realized I was Jewish, looked at the kippah, his jaw hit the floor, all his jihadi mates were laughing at him. But he'd just taken a selfie with a, not just a Jew, a Zionist Jew. Uh, the police were laughing and everyone, yeah, it was, it was a nice day. Uh, uh, did, it, uh, did it sort of calm the situation down, fair play, or did you sort of make a quick exit? No, no. A, it, St. John's would cheap. It definitely calmed things down. As I say, most people don't speak to these extremists. They're, 
I can't tend to grab these opportunities because you don't know. Most interfaith happens with a vicar, a rabbi, and the mom. They they drink cups of tea. They tell each other how similar their religions are, and isn't this incredible? They pose for a photograph, which goes in the local Jewish and Muslim newspapers, and everybody's happy. Except the relations between those three was already fine. Right. That's not the problem. Yes. The imam isn't going to go and strap a bomb and blow a Jew up or stab a Jew. It's the extremists that's no that no one's engaging with, yes. and that's why I seek out these people is to. Because they've never met a Jew most of the time. They read all about the Jews. That's the thing with Speaker's Corner. You go to Speaker's Corner, everyone's speaking about Jews. There's no Jews there. Mm. And so it's just, yeah, I think it's important to engage with these people. Now, one of your unique skills, as we've just heard, is your ability to communicate in Islamic terms. What knowledge of the Quran do you have, Joseph? Very, very limited. I think with any of these things, the more so if you ask me how much I know about the Torah, it's very, very little. Um, The more you know about something, the more you realize how little you know. But I do think that when you take the time out to actually read the literature, it's hugely important in, in the work that I'm doing. In the same way that if someone was engaging with me and they'd learned about Judaism, they'd learned about Halakha, they'd learned about the Torah, it would make the conversation much easier. They understand who I am, where I'm coming from, and it can be used to build rapport. On the eve of the general election, you created um, intellectual confusion with many hardcore Jeremy Corbyn supporters by swapping the name Corbyn with Boris Johnson to Labour voters, and you got them hook, line and sinker. Uh, what was their reaction at the end of it? Do you think you changed hearts and minds, or you stopped them voting Labour, or they thought, he's a clever Zionist and I'm going to vote you know, Corbyn even more, you know, which was obviously sometimes the refuge of Corbyn supporters. So the purpose of a video is not really with the person you're engaging with, it's with the audience. And so I set out to point out the hypocrisy, the same hypocrisy we were talking about before, this double standard when it comes to racism, which the left is incapable of recognising from its own ranks. And so I attended an anti-racist far-left rally and I said that Boris Johnson had said things or done things that Jeremy Corbyn had, anti-Semitic things. And I recorded their reaction and they were outraged when they learned that um, Boris Johnson had said something so anti-Semitic or quoted such anti-Semitic people or endorsed such anti-Semitic books. And then I flipped it and I said, actually, by the way, that wasn't Boris Johnson. That was Jeremy Corbyn. Do you still think that he's fit for office? So here's the twist. Everything except the statue was actually statements that Jeremy Corbyn's made. Was it really? Now, do you still think somebody who makes those statements is fit for office? No. No. I don't. (laughs) Actually, no. To be honest, I don't think he's strong enough. And I did say at the start, I did say that he should have took the Labour Party by the hand at the meeting and said, right, at, there's no place in this Labour Party for anti-Semitism. But they, not, not that it's not strong enough, there was a book that described Jews as the peculiar and ugly race right. under a chapter called Economic Parasite. Yeah. Corbyn wrote the foreword to it and called it a great tome. Well, well, what can I say? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that much about it, but the Jews have got a lot of power and a lot of money, haven't they? They do, they do manipulate things. Power is money. Well, 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 the author is who? J.A. Hobson. Right, and... And Jeremy Corbyn wrote the foreword, 
called it a great tome, called the book a great tome, yeah. and said the author was brilliant, if a little controversial in his time. Right. And how long ago is this? So the, the book was written over 100 years ago. Jeremy Corbyn wrote hmm. the foreword in 2011, I think. Right, okay. So, um, would it be correct in me saying that he would have read the book if he wrote the foreword, but yeah. surely sometimes they can publish things after someone's written a foreword, possibly? Yeah, but he would have had to got a time machine because the book was written over 100 years ago. Yeah, but I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, uh, you know, they could have added bits into the book after. Possibly. No, no, the book, we've got book, copies of the book that are very old. So that was definitely in the book when Corbyn wrote the foreword. Is that the truth? Though? Yeah. I mean, I still think vote Labour. And you've got a guy standing with a fight bigotry sign. There's actually one with a fight racism, one with a fight bigotry sign. Both then just go into hardcore anti-Semitism. Well, the Jews, they do protect their money. Well, the Jews do have a lot of power and manipulate politics. And... I'm not going to change those people. If anything, they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be more polarized. They're probably going to like <laughs> like Jews even less than they did before. But for everyone that's watching it, and that video probably was watched by around 3 million people. It was covered by the Daily Mail, by The Sun, picked up by Alistair Campbell, someone just showed me, um, shared it just a couple of days ago. And it was picked up by people up and down the country. You can see where people are watching a video and it was in ordinary British communities, white working class, places where there's no Jews, places which are t typically associated with Labour heartland and it was being shared, liked, and the average person that was commenting on it was just astounded at the, the double standard and that's the purpose of the video. It's not to change that individual, it's to change the minds of the people watching it. If I'm to quote Ian Austin, former MP of Dudley North, while he was MP for Dudley North, but as an independent MP when I interviewed him, he said, the people, and I can vouch for this because this is my part of the world, he said, the people of Dudley, they might not know the ins and outs of Jewish history, but they know something's wrong, and they knew something was wrong. The Red Wall has been firmly knocked down. Joseph has the Red Wall been annihilated, or will Len McCluskey uh, get his wish and say, come home to Labour, as he will attempt to do in four or five years' time? So I'm in a very privileged position. When I go on my Facebook page, I've got my Jewish friends, my Muslim friends, my atheist friends, and I've got all my northern friends. I grew up in a working-class privilege in the north of England, and there is absolutely zero like tolerance or desire to go red anytime soon. Um, while most of them still really don't like Tories, they also really don't like Labour now. And it's because Labour is now the political party for affluent liberal people who live in cities and not ordinary working class people that I grew up with. They just, they speak a different language. Yeah. Their concerns of the environment, they go, as an example, climate change being one of the biggest priorities for the modern Labour Party. It registers way down on the list of priorities for people who are struggling to feed. I, the community I come from, there's like mass unemployment, shops are closing, the high street's being destroyed. Like, if you start making it impossible to drive a car it's going to make things even more difficult for them to to find work to exist and so they're just there's just a complete disconnect 
with the policies and the types of politics that Labour is pushing, which is better suited to middle-class affluent yeah. city people who have different sets of concerns than it is to the ordinary British person, in, in my opinion. Indeed. Well, um, as if to prove your point, Eddie Izzard has decided that he wants to stand as a Labour MP and will make no further comment along that line. Now, what's of your background, uh, Joseph? Because you're from quite an extraordinary background uh, for a Jewish person, a Durham mining town. Your parents moved there, like Richard Briers and his wife in the 1970s. Uh, they were Marxists. I'm getting a sort of picture of uh, Alexei Sales' family here. Um, you know, like I have family from the northeast, but they were from Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and what they did in the Durham mining towns was they they were peddlers or they were moneylenders. It wasn't a place where where there were Jews. Bloody so, so what, what's, what's going on here, Joseph? So first and foremost, it's a it's an honour to be in the company of well, someone from such a higher class, <laughs> <laughs> a Geordie as opposed to a Macum. Yeah, um, exactly, quite not one of them. Um, and so. Basically, I, my parents moved um, from Manchester and London to the north of England for a better quality of life. I was born in a hippie commune. Um, some hippies wow. grouped together and basically bought a street in a pit village. Um, that's where I spent my first few Gosh. months or years, I'm not sure. And w- um, were, you, were your parents and brothers and sisters all shared? You know, like that sort of really communist so no, thing where there's loads of parents and loads no, I, I, had, I had one mother, one father. Right, OK. Um, so it's not that, no not siblings. that, not it that crazy. It wasn't extreme. Um, it, it wasn't a kibbutz in Israel. It yeah. was a commune in the north of England. Um, but yeah, I was raised very much on the left. Um, in the studio we're sitting at the moment, you can see a picture of my grandfather on the wall. He was a communist councillor, um, failed to be communist MP in the east end of London. I come from a line of Marxists. My father was on soapboxes outside factories, rallying the workers, calling the workers to the revolution as he was growing up. Um, and so I was raised within that community with those values, um, with religion being the opiate of the matters. And in my mid-twenties, I became more religious, um, disassociated myself from the, the left-right binary. I don't think it makes much sense today. I think there are values that are important. And if they're important to you, it doesn't matter whether they're coming from the left or the right. You side with those values. Um, Left and right politics has just descended into tribalism. Um, I think the left is just a great example for me. I always saw the left as the champion of minorities, the champion of the downtrodden. And then suddenly the left is treading on me. Mm-hmm. And it's actually maybe I'm not this guardian angel that you project out and that you came to be. Maybe you're just like everyone else and you have flaws and you have things. So yeah, raised very much on the left, working class community, um, but moved away from that as, as I matured. Fascinating. And of course, if you look into the non-Jewish community, there are also people of our vintage that would have called themselves Marxists, even revolutionary Marxists, uh, as they grew up. People like uh, Claire Fox or Brendan O'Neill. Uh, and they have, I'm guessing, a similar politics to you now, even though they're not Jewish. They, they, they are broadly supportive of Israel, even if they're perhaps... Not um, you know not not driven by by Zionism uh, as perhaps uh, as perhaps we are, yeah. Just yeah. because of their different backgrounds, yeah. How has that happened? What do you mean? Is that basically the Labour Party has deserted the broad church of um, of your parents and of your uh, of your ideology as a kid? So I think the world has changed. 
um, capitalism has liberated people in a way that communism was supposed to liberate people. So literacy levels are the highest they've ever been, life expectancy, the majority of the world is actually not living in poverty. There's not really such a thing as the developing world anymore. We've all developed. And so the left has had to adapt um, because you can't really liberate the working classes because capitalism did that. You switch your focus. And it comes much more about identity politics and championing different um, minority communities. And Politics has changed. Um, and communism, there isn't, in my opinion, there's not really much of a need for it in the modern world mm -hmm. because we're all doing so great mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so I, I think it's bigger than Labour. You look anywhere, you look America, you look here, you look Israel, the left is dying. Mm -hmm. There isn't a left in Israel, as an example. Well, that's certainly been proven in this third and final general election. Now, I grew up in Birmingham at a time before the Iranian Revolution, before Islamic nationalism really came to the fold. Uh, indeed, I was at a Jewish school with a Guantanamo prisoner, Mozambique. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, my witnessing at close quarters to this radicalization has affected me and my politics as I've come to London. Do you think London Jewish people understand what's happened outside of the country? Whereas my community has all but disappeared, and I think that is through, um, if you like, the, the, the change to multiculturalism. And there are some great people there running a beautiful old shul. And it's a shul which represents Birmingham as one of the principal cities of the world in the 1860s. And it takes four minutes to walk across. And yes, they still have a minion. And there's a wonderful Rob and Rebertson there. So I think... No kosher butcher anymore. There's two separate issues here. So I think the decline of the provincial Jewish communities isn't down to multiculturalism, but it's to do with... If you are remaining a religious Jew, you need facilities, Jewish schools, um, synagogues, and the like, and you need employment. And so most of the Jews have migrated to the larger cities. So I'm well, not Birmingham, is it? Birmingham's, Birmingham's huge. But you see, there city. you go. You see, but, Birmingham is an important major city. But the, for whatever reason, so I think Birmingham, Birmingham is the exception. So Newcastle City's going through the same crisis. Uh, Newcastle Synagogue's going through the same crisis. And if you go to any, whether it's St. Anne's Synagogue, yeah. wherever you go to these provincial, outside of London communities, whether it's in a community that has remained um, white British, or it's a community that's like Bradford, that's become, or Birmingham, which has a much larger Muslim or non-white British population, the experience is the same. Those communities have shrunk and declined. Um, multiculturalism has definitely introduced a number of other issues but I'm not sure that's the so as an example I think in Bradford it was the Muslim community that came to the assistance of the reform synagogue mm -hmm. and helped saved it by doing a fundraiser um, and so I don't think it's so black and white that these communities are declining because of changing demographics I think these communities are declining because the, the Jews have largely moved to London and Manchester mm -hmm. um, would, would be my take yeah it's it's um, yeah. We'll just we'll just we'll just have a philosophical moment here, which is that um, there have been substantial societal changes, um, and the demographics have changed. 
the feeling that the council and the government isn't always on your side, I think affects Jewish people more who feel a sense of loyalty to their host country, uh, perhaps more so than the people who are supposed to be in charge. And that breeds insecurity. And the only place I think in the country now where there is a substantial enough amount of people for us to feel like nothing's changed is London, which is why I asked the question, do you think London people truly understand uh, what's happened around the rest of the country? I mean, they only have to look as far as Ilford to understand what was perceived to be the biggest, most concentrated area of Jewish community in the country when we were kids. Um, they've, they've flown to Muswell Hill, for yeah. example. Yeah, so, so that's start with the the, the the latter part Jewish I don't think I, I really don't think that the the, fly, the the movement of Jews from different communities is necessarily to do with the, the the changing demographics as an example we were in the East End before we were in the East End it was the Irish before the Irish it was the Huguenots I think that's the right chronology um, and as communities, we moved. Um, so we moved to Ilford. Some of us went to northwest London. The Ilford lot then moved further to northwest London. And I think that's just the natural pattern of as an immigrant community gets more affluent, gets more settled, creates roots, they tend to, to migrate to nicer neighbourhoods, which is what happened with with Ilford. The first part of your, in my opinion, the first part of your question, I think, is is slightly different and that is the people in in these Jewish communities like Northwest London, whether it's Stamford Hill, Golders Green, Muswell Hill, Finchley, um, are these are they aware of what's going on in the rest of the community? Um, I think they have as much an idea as anyone else mm -hmm. really has of what's going on from outside of their community. I don't think they have an accurate I'd like most people I relate to when I say I'm from the north of England they have a stereotype they have an idea of what that means what my upbringing was but they don't really know because they've never been there um, some of the, and so but then if you ask them uh, one of the people I grew up with anything about the Jewish community they won't have a clue I remember I once went to the annual sheep show we had a, an annual sheep show in my village it was actually a very good sheep show and uh, people were growing <laughs> giant vegetables and um, my sister was there and she was wearing uh, no it wasn't my sister it was her friend there was actually another Jewish girl in the village who oh. was wearing a Magen David and her friend approached and said oh I didn't know you were into witchcraft and she assumed it was the pentagram when the, oh, the, the, <laughs> and so it's just a complete ignorance to right. Wow, yeah, there was all sorts of different... Um, yeah, I, I got asked quite regularly at school if I spoke Jewish, <laughs> uh, etc. So it's, it's a different kind of uh, metric here, that's for sure. Now, um, the, 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 the name of your, um, uh, of your service on YouTube, and it is a service, a service to the community and to the wider world, and on Twitter, is Israel Advocacy Movement. It's an interesting name, um, because Israel is not a defendant in the dock of the Court of International Public Opinion. Advocacy means to defend rights. Yeah. So Joseph, is advocacy the right word to use for your work? Or are you selling Israel short? Should we call it something else? The Israel uh, patriotic movement or something that's not advocacy, which is a bit defensive. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a good call. So the reason I set up the Israel advocacy movement 
was to ins- help inspire one of the, the motivations was to inspire people to do something to, to actually get involved to advocate for England uh, sorry for, to advocate for Israel in England and so you're right Israel isn't on trial or shouldn't be on trial but it kind of is it's if people have a view of Israel it tends to skew to the negative people are twice as likely to hold a hostile view of Israel than they are to hold a positive um, view of Israel so if you can think of a better way to convey that we should be out there doing something I will happily change the, <laughs> the name I'll the, send you a whatsapp <laughs> or a picture of Harry Markham dancing perhaps that, that might do it um, I've got plenty of those <laughs> haven't we all um, I just wanted to ask you this as well about your future Joseph I mean obviously you are a proud Zionist what is your future in the UK I mean is your logical life progression to go and live in Israel I asked the same question to David Collier I said why are you here and he said to fight you know we have in Israel uh, a situation where we've won the battle but for the diaspora uh, there is a fight on here and here I am to defend the Jewish people so the answer is yes Yes, I should be in Israel. Yes. Um, I don't think there is a future for Jews outside of Israel. Our entire religion revolves around existence in Israel as a people. Like, we are the children of Israel, the land of Israel. Israel is central to our identity. We pray three times a day to return to Israel. So what happens is anti-Semitism never goes away anti-Semitism is, persists as long as the Jewish people seem to persist. And what happens is anti-Semitism rises in one country, we used to have to find another place to flee. What happens now is we actually have a refuge, we've returned home. So as anti-Semitism rises in Russia, the Jews of Russia emptied. As anti-Semitism rose in the Arab world, the Jews of the Arab world emptied. And as anti-Semitism begins to rise in Europe, as unfortunately it is, the Jews of Europe, unless something changes, will empty and return to Israel. Um, so yeah, I, I will return to Israel. Um, it will be on my terms rather than the terms of the NBC might. But yeah, I, I think that's where every Jew should be. Kol Hakavod, Joseph Cohen, thank you very much for being part of Jolly Gould's Jewish State. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.